welcome to episode 179. I believe this is the Zaycom Podcast. It's your boy, Mrs. ECP from the A63, aka Mrs. Zaycom, aka Point County's number one podcaster, aka your favorite podcaster's favorite podcast. <sighs> All right, so to explain my absence, because this episode was originally supposed to come out on Tuesday afternoon, I believe. Um, Got pushed back due to a uh, technical difficulties, aka my PC crashing on me. Um. And this episode is supposed to come out on Wednesday, but as you can hear in this show currently, um, I got sick over the uh, in the middle of the week, and I will tell you Wednesday I was feeling like shit, um, throwing up everywhere. Uh, I couldn't fucking chew. Like I was, it was disgusting on Wednesday. Felt a little bit better on Thursday, but still didn't feel like I should uh, get back to work. And then almost was putting it off today too, but I eventually got um I got the second quote unquote episode recorded. Um the grades for every off uh, teams all uh, I say all season grades for every team season so far in the first couple of months, the first nine weeks, um, as we're referring it to. But um we here, baby. We are in the flesh of the season being like well on its Way to damn near half uh, half the season done already, but um, which is even crazy. We're currently twenty three minutes till Christmas Eve, which is no basketball. But then on Christmas we get hella basketball. Um, we will be previewing that uh, those games in the second episode, by the way. Um, but this will be released before the second episode. Second episode is already recorded, but we have uh, released the uh, or so. But uh, this will be released first. And plus, I got another third project for y'all that will absolutely be released tomorrow uh, afternoon. I just got to put a little finishing touches on it. Um, but until then, of course, welcome to the 178th episode where we will be discussing um, every team's uh, trade target this season. Are the most likely trade target for every uh team this season. Uh, this is difficult. I'm not gonna lie. This is a lot easier than <laughs> trade asset. And even trade asset was difficult. Where it's like a team has like so little that they can get rid of, um, or so little flexibility that I just like oh attach a first round pick to it. But um, I think it was even difficult for these teams. It was like, what exactly would a young team really want from say a contender? Like, Ali, I'm, I'm just going to name a contender like the Milwaukee Bucks. Marshawn Bochamp ain't getting traded in his rookie year. Just keeping it a stack with you. So I don't see a young team getting Marshawn Bochamp. And for that matter, I don't see anybody really um being in the sweepstakes for one of those dudes either. Like, um from said contending teams. Because contending teams don't really need to be trading for any because they're a good team already for a reason. Um, Same thing with getting rid of people. I don't think Grant Williams should be got uh traded by the Boston Celtics, but he was like the most likely option. He was at the end of his deal, he's gonna command a lot of money in the offseason. It was a good cop out. As for that though, um the first team we're gonna be talking about is the Philadelphia 76. Jesus. Um, which I've been a critic of for a while, actually. Of this team was just a big man away, but and again, this is all changed tonight because the 76 had an absolute amazing game uh, against the Clippers. But I still think this team is a shooter away. And somebody I look at 
disgusting contract. I'm gonna be honest with you. We talked about it in the last episode, um, and honestly, a few episodes back where he first, I say a few, one of the first episodes of this podcast actually is a uh, is me ripping into the Heat signing Duncan Robinson to a ninety million dollar contract. But Duncan Robinson, I think, is a perfect trade target for this team, and I'll tell you why. You're probably going to get at least one first-round pick out of it, by all means. Two, I think Tobias Harris, despite him still having a really good season, and we've even talked about it uh, in the last episode, in kayfabe the last episode, but in reality, two episodes ago. Um, we talked about the fact that Tobias Harris, I think, is probably going to be the odd man out. Whether it's this year or next year, he's probably getting dealt. Um, I know we've been saying this basically since he first signed this deal. But I think this is probably the year he gets dealt. And I wouldn't be surprised if Duncan Robinson plus, like, Dwayne Deadman uh, or even, like, Victor Oladipo is thrown in there and maybe, like, Tobias and Jaden Springer just to get more vet-ready guys off the bench and maybe potentially Duncan Robinson in the starting lineup as a shooter. I know Duncan Robinson, P.J. Tucker as your 3-4 combination is kind of sus. But I think is you got enough talent around you in Harden, which he showed tonight. He can make anything work. Joel Embiid, obviously one of the two best centers in basketball. Whether if he's one or two is not, is undebatable, or honestly, it is debatable. But um, he is one or two. That should not be an argument. I think legitimately could possibly be a a good enough uh, one-two combination to mask the fact that Duncan Robinson. Is your starting three. Um, next to the Milwaukee Bucks, um, we kind of mentioned it in the last episode a, a little bit, even is the title of last week's episode. But um, it's probably this Jay Crowder, and I say this couple for a couple of reasons. Watching the most recent game that they played, which about three hours ago they played the Brooklyn Nets, um, got stomped. It was no bones about it. Brooklyn just came out as the better team. But one thing that was very, very, very noticeable, Milwaukee does rely on a lot of driving kicks, and they don't have enough consistent. And again, this does mask that Drew, uh, Chris Middleton did not play. Got to add that asterisk there. But this it does hide the fact that Milwaukee doesn't have a ton of really, really good shooters, and that's why I think you know maybe a Duncan Robinson could work for them too. But they don't really have the like, basically, I don't see them adding Chris Middleton into any trades whatsoever. So, just going to put that out there. And they don't really have any other big money or money guys to match up besides Brooke Lopez. And Brooke Lopez is, like, super valuable to them. So, Duncan Robinson's out the picture. But Jay Crowder makes a, a reasonable contract to where, like, a Grayson Allen or, or a Grayson Allen plus jo- uh, Jordan Noir, I think, is a good enough deal to probably get you a Jay Crowder, maybe attach a second to it. But for the most part, Jay Crowder, I think that's, you know, a relatively good deal for Jay Crowder. Um, but Jay Crowder helps that so much because he is a 40% three-point shooter. And it helps that he'd probably be the third best perimeter defender on this Milwaukee Bucks team. Just being straight up, maybe fourth to uh, with Javon Carter being back there. But overall, probably the fourth best defender on this team. And I think that could, you know, help him tremendously in the Drew Holiday, Javon Carter, and even Giannis Antetokounmpo in this game. Driving kicks. Next for the Chicago Bulls. Um, one thing that felt very noticeable in watching uh, them play is that 
dear God, they get beat inside a lot. And the man that I have on this list, I don't think will necessarily help that, but he won't hurt. He won't be any worse than what he ha- he's currently playing with. And I understand the optics of a trade like this don't make a lick of sense whatsoever. But Chicago, I think, has to at least entertain the idea of paying the luxury tax. Um, granted, they're probably going th- they're going through a fire sale right now or a potential fire sale because um, the I guess you could say the the looming um, expectance of Demar Derozan uh, requesting a trade is still out there. You know, Zach Levine's the report of the uh, Chicago Bulls not seeing eye to eye with Zach Levine and Lonzo Ball is still injured. Nikola Vucevic's been a disappointment. Patrick Williams necessarily hasn't progressed into that um, that Kawhi level guy that they thought they were going to get during the draft. Um, the bench has been pretty disappointed for what I viewed this bench would be coming into the season. Besides, I assume new, but he's done most of his damage as a starting point guard anyway. Um, overall, this team has been a disappointment, which we'll get into when y'all eventually listen, listen to the um, grades episode. Uh, but one person I have on this list is Mo Bamba. And like I said, the optics of this trade, there really isn't any mathematical way that they can make this happen in a mathematically plus in a common sense way. Like, just throwing a name out there, Kobe White and Derrick Jones Jr. mathematically make this trade work, but Orlando doesn't need another point guard. They don't need a dunker on a three-year contract. That's just straight up with you. Like, despite those two being hell of talent, uh, neither of them are, like, it's not a necessary move at all for Orlando. Um, maybe this is involving a three-team tra- trade with... <sighs> I'm trying to think what team could possibly use a Kobe White. Maybe like San Antonio. Um, in a way, San Antonio gets uh involved. That but I also had Josh Richardson involved with them too. But I was like, there's no way they, they need another defensive heavy guard on this team. So we we went the Mo Bamba route. I was like, they absolutely need a backup center. With no offense to Andre Drummond whatsoever. I think Andre Drummond is perfectly fine. He's just not the rim protector you want him to be. And I think Mo Bamba in a broader sense I think is a better rim protector but um like I said that's that's a, a move I think could improve the optics of this potential playoff push at their own next with the Cleveland Cavaliers um I mentioned with the Cavs similar to the Chicago Bulls they don't have a ton of crazy depth in the in the front court and when I say crazy depth I mean like yeah Kevin Love is cool Robin Lopez is a, is a great personality but like defensively, <laughs> those two suck. Um, and granted, the guy that I have on this list probably won't get moved because his team is like one of the best teams in the NBA currently. Um, and the fact that he's not really the most proven defender out there. But I think they also need athleticism in that front court. With the two guys that I mentioned, you get absolutely zero of it. And for a team that's like predicated on like being young being fast, being on edge, being, you know, quick on their feet with Mitchell, with Garland, with that front court of Mobley and Allen. Um, A guy like Jackson Hayes would work really well in this system. And I'm saying this because Garland, 
one hell of a playmaker. Mitchell, way improved as a playmaker and scorer, but but mostly as a playmaker, way improved. I think could do wonders for Jackson Hayes, which he doesn't necessarily, and mostly because A, he's coming off the bench. B, he's like the forgotten of the young young guys that they have there in Zion and Ingram, Trey Murphy, development, Herb Jones, uh, Jose Alvarado. Like he's kind of like been on the the losing end of the stick there. <clears throat> so it wouldn't be surprised if like even though like I said, he probably would be lost in the shuffle in Cleveland too, at least get more consistent minutes, especially when inevitably an Evan Mobley goes out with an injury or a Jared Allen goes out with an injury because they are prone to do that. Um, especially in their times in Cleveland. Um, I think like for sure. He would be a perfect fit and probably a better um, contributor than a Robin Lopez. But Robin Lopez, I'm not advocating for him to get traded. I'm saying just like, you know, a third string center role would be okay with him. Evan Mobley or uh, Isaiah Mobley, a year or two in the G League, he's like absolutely killing it in the showcase right now. But or at least you know when it when it was going on. Um, but I think seriously, like. A year or two for him in the G League. I think him and Jackson Hayes, I think games could complement each other well because, um, like I said, they, simply, they play similar to uh, Evan Mobley in, in uh, Jared Allen, where it's like Isaiah's more of the score and, you know, Jackson Hayes is more of the athletic specimen, i.e. Jared Allen. Um, I think they, they definitely complement each other off the bench. And even Kevin Love, I think, uh, could fit in that, in that uh, little nucleus too, despite him being, obviously not being young. Oh boy, we and we're already fifteen minutes. In. Um, this is why I have a problem with this series. Hold on, give me one second. And I wanted to bring this up because, like I said, I got DMs from the last episode. It's like, damn Zay, why are you making these episodes long, man? You know I can't listen to an hour and a half. Probably. Like, believe me, I understand. It is just as so much of a pain for us to record these as it is for y'all to listen to these. But when you ask for series like this. Um, I can't just give 30-second breakdowns of why these, these episodes are as long as they are. So bear with me through these recordings, and I promise you, we'll get through this together. The Boston Celtics, this is the only team on this list that I could not come up with a single solitary soul. And at first, I had written down Cam, uh, Cam Reddish, but then I realized I also wrote down Cam Reddish for the Rockets, I believe. For the Rockets, and I'm tr- I tried as, m- as much as humanly possible to avoid putting two people on the same list. So, with Cam Reddish, or sorry, with the Boston Celtics, they're deep at the guard position. They are deep on the wing position. Front court, it's a little stale, but outside of maybe Derek White. And even then, Derek White is still a starter for them. I don't see a single solitary person on this team that's getting traded. Even like at the bottom of the bench, Justin Jackson, I don't think he's getting moved. There's way too much working for the. I know, granted, they're on like a three game losing streak, I believe. But if I pull up scores real quick, and when I do mean quick, I do mean quick, I believe they got a good win today. Yes, they did. They beat the Timberwolves. Um. Uh. Also, it's like there's something. Is there something here that I missed? But no, I've I've seen all these. Um. 
Also, by the way, shout out to Tyrese Halliburton. Um, no reason, just shout out to Tyrese Halliburton. But, uh, <laughs> um, what was, what was I getting at? Oh, yeah, with the Celtics. Um, like I said, the front court might be bare, but even then, like I don't see anybody on this team getting moved. They got way too much to go on for them right now. Um, still one of the best records in the NBA. I think after today, due to the Bucks losing and them winning, I think they do have now the best record in the NBA. Um, but I don't even see a front court move where realistically they can make a move. Like I'm going th- as I'm going through every team in the NBA is like. Um, Memphis don't really have something for them. Um, Atlanta and Yekka Kongu safe. Uh, Miami, they don't really have anything. Charlotte, obviously, don't really have anything. Utah, M- Kelly O'Linick reunion, but Boston's already paying crazy tax as it is. Um, Sacramento don't really have anything that they want to give up. New York, same thing. LA, same thing. Orlando, same thing. Dallas don't really have anything to begin with. Brooklyn, um, nothing in the front court that, besides uh, Nico Claxton, but shout out to Nico Claxton, he had a hell of a game tonight, um, on both ends. Uh, he, I think, is way too valuable to the Brooklyn Nets to where it's like, oh, we'll give you Nico Claxton for a second round pick. Um, no, Denver, obviously not. Indiana, I doubt it. New Orleans, they're they're per- perfect the way they are. Detroit, New Orleans Noel cost way too much. Um, Toronto, ugh. Rockets, obviously not. Maybe Derek Favors in a buyout situation. If Der- if they were able to get Derek Favors on a buyout, I think they'd be perfect. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Actually, spoiler alert: Do I have Derek Favors written down for any? Because I do remember his name coming up a lot in conversation. When making these up. No, he's not. All right, so Serge Ibaka, I think, is a good... I said Serge Ibaka. Actually, Serge Ibaka did. Serge Ibaka's on this list uh, for a different team that's almost in this exact same situation, but uh, slightly worse. Um, but uh, Jesus Christ, Derek Favors. Um, I think Derek Favors would be a, probably the perfect pickup just at that center position. And I think they'd be they'd be fine the way they are. <coughs> Next, LA Clippers. Um, I think I said the same thing. We just mentioned his name too. Uh, Nerlens Noel, and really, it would only cost you Luke Nard. This has absolutely zero to do with me as a Pistons fan, and that I miss Luke Nard dearly and his all of his great shooting. But I do think that the Clippers' biggest weakness is that they have way too many wings. And zero bigs. Granted, Musa Diabate, I think, has been a wonder for the Clippers. But I think they can upgrade at that center position. And Nerlens Noel is almost like the perfect guy to do it. Because, A, it keeps you out of luxury tax next year. Or, uh, sorry, out of the hard cap next year. Because that is a very, very, very key thing for the Clippers. Um, B, it gets you a perfect fit. Short term for your position, like the for short term position that you need to fill the most, because you have good two point two good point guards, you have a ridiculous amount of good wings, um, a couple of wings slash bigs in Kawhi and Marcus Morris. I think that complement each other's game real well, and then you got Zubak as a good good starting center. I'm not gonna say great, but good starting center. You just need a good a quality, a uh, backup 
which <clears throat> granted, I think last year you had that in, in Zay Hartenstein, but unfortunately they couldn't pay him. So I wouldn't be surprised if Nerlens Noel is uh, the odd, <clears throat> the godly. We had all kinds of choked up on the, on the show. But if Nerlens Noel is the, the next key piece to this, uh, to, uh, to this Clippers championship run. Next, for the Memphis Grizzlies, there's a, currently they're winning by like 30 against the Phoenix Suns. So realistically, this is a perfect team. And I feel like an asshole, a big one at that, for uh, thinking that this team would, would fail this year. If I failed, I said I think they'd be like the sixth seed, which, <coughs> God, I'm sorry for coughing y'all here like this. But I hate I hate pausing and recording on this show because I got like seven different seventy different clips that I gotta crash together to make a passable show. All right, <clears throat> but on a serious note, with the Memphis Grizzlies, I think one key issue with them, and again, this is going to be a topic of conversation for years to come, as long as their best player is John Morant. Can they shoot the basketball at a passable clip? Now, currently, they are beating the Phoenix Suns by 28 with about two minutes left in the fourth, or sorry, in the third quarter. They are currently shooting 29% from three and 72% from the free throw line. That might be cool to beat the Phoenix Suns without Devin Booker and a very much past his prime Chris Paul. That is not going to beat a healthy Suns team, a playoff Warriors team, a playoff Clippers team. Or maybe even a playoff Nuggets team. I I love the Grizzlies. I think they like so they've been a joy to watch, and they have absolutely proved me wrong this year. But they're going to need a balanced attack to try and win games. Like I said, fifty percent from the field I think is amazing, despite them shooting twenty nine percent from three and seventy two percent from the free throw line. One guy that I think absolutely helps that and has been a revelation on another Western Conference team. That's been better than I expected this year. Utah Jazz, Malik Beasley. I think, and again, it's going to be easy. Danny Green's $10 million, or was it like $13 million, or something crazy like that, um, free right there. That is an easy get for them. Um, I think even if you want to, like say, if you want to break ties with somebody early, you can like dangle a, a David Roddy type piece in there. Not saying that you should trade your rookie first round picker already, but I'm saying if you want to dangle that piece with Utah, it's like, hmm, it's a free technical first round pick that y'all can get here. Or if you just want to straight up throw a, a regular first round pick in there, Utah will absolutely accept that deal, especially considering Malik Beasley has absolutely been phenomenal so far this year. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the guy that they go get to improve this 29% from three. 72% from the free throw line that they're currently winning by 30 with. This is a championship team if they can get their shooting up is basically what I'm telling you. Next, with the Atlanta Hawks, um, they fall into a problem. Well, they got a lot of problems to be fair. But, jeez, that was completely uncalled for. But one problem that they absolutely run into, God, it's late at night. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, one problem that they run into is the lack of wing depth. I do like that A.J. Griffin has been an immediate uh, contributor so far this season as a rookie. Um, Justin Holiday, it is what it is with him at this point. 
he's a vet. That's about all we uh, I can really say. Um, DeAndre Hunter, I see him more as a four than a three, which is why John Collins is going to be the room. But if you like John Collins, then Clint Capella might be the problem. And they have a lot of conversations that need to be had at the front court position. But wing depth does not necessarily help with that because they run into the same problem as the Grizzlies, but the Grizzlies have, a, in my opinion at least, a better point guard than the Atlanta Hawks do. So they can get away with that, especially when it comes to slashing the basketball. Um, well, I should say even more athletic point guard when it comes to slashing the basketball. Let me rephrase that. I'm not saying that Trey Young's bad, but like John Murray definitely has his uh, his uh, his uh, a lot. He has his his positives when it comes to it more than Trey Young does. Um, but one thing that could absolutely help with that is adding a shooter. And when I said earlier, uh, fix your front court depth. I specifically said uh, I was I specifically said Clint Capella. Spoilers to an answer later on in this uh, in this episode. By the way. The answer to this question, though, is Joseph Harris Jr., the third. Um, yes, Joe Harris, I think, could be a, a W um, selection for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, granted, I don't think he didn't, he didn't play in the, in the game, really. And I don't think he's played for the last couple. But I think could be a... By the way, the Grizzlies are up 28 at the end of the third quarter. In case y'all will ask. But um, I think could be a wonderful, wonderful contributor to uh the Brooklyn Nets um or sorry to the Atlanta Hawks as a both a shooter and the, uh, just a spacer for Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, which granted they have zero of those in this current rotation. In, in case you were wondering, they have none of that in Atlanta. DeAndre Hunter is not a floor spacer. John Collins definitely has not been a sport for floor spacer. Probably on net volume, probably the worst three point shooter in the NBA. <sighs> Respectfully, one of the worst. And I think that could be rectified with John Collins moving to the five, Andre Hunter at the four, and then Joe Harris sliding in as a starting three. There you go. And then in about 20 minutes, we'll get into why I think Joe Harris will end up as an Atlanta Hawk. Next, with the Miami Heat. This one, I feel like, has been rumored the most. Well, at least this person to be moved the most because he's on a team that's probably in the most obvious way tanking. But uh, the Miami Heat and their accomplice, Jakob Pertl. Despite it being heavily publicized that the Miami Heat have uh, needed power forward depth. God, they needed a J. Crowder trade to go down ASAP. I think their biggest problem this season has not been the power forward position. It has been the starting, or the, sorry, the backup center position. Obviously, they don't have a starting center problem. I'm not criticizing Bam to this degree yet. Backup center is god awful for them, though. Like, Okay, about two off-seasons ago, I severely, and again, I will admit my own faults on this podcast, made an entire episode. Back then, the episodes were about 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes, just getting my feet off the ground. 
in the podcasting game. This is probably like episode like 15 or something crazy like that. The title of the episode was I love two players. One was Will Barton. The other was Dwayne Dedman. I thought contender could use Dwayne Dedman as a backup center. Poof. He ends up on the Miami Heat. I'm like, yes. This is the perfect scenario for minimal role. Like, he doesn't have to be a starter on a championship team. Like, I'm not saying that he was this great. But I thought he'd be a lot better than what he is right now. Like, Dwayne Dedman had these similar problems when he was young, younger, when he was in Orlando. And even, like, they were sort of fixed in San Antonio, but then they were re- uh, they they reappeared when he was in Atlanta. His inability to finish around the basket. Now, like defensively, we we can like we're gonna talk about how bad he is defensively, but offensively, the inability as a seven footer to finish around the basket, um, doesn't have the three point shooting he used to to back this terrible finishing up. Like Miles Turner, I would say. Probably isn't the best big man finisher in the, around the basket, but he has a three a hell of a three point shot to mask that fact. I can't say the same thing about Dwayne Dedman and Omer Yurtsevin. I think, he, despite I think he had in spurts, is a really good backup center. I don't see him being that same guy 15, 20 minutes a night As on a contending team. Let me rephrase that. Say. With the Miami Heat's goals with spending all this money on Hero and Jimmy and Tyler here, oh, sorry, and, uh, Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, Duncan Roberts, like they spent this money to be a contender, so we're going to call them a contender. Whether they they they're not playing like a contender, but this is a team whose goal is to compete for a championship. Right, currently, currently, right now, December twenty fourth, twenty twenty two, twelve eighteen in the morning, their goal is to compete for an NBA championship. This, the, what they need is not what Omer Yurtsevin can provide. I think Jakob Proto can provide that in twenty, in fifteen to twenty minutes. Granted, I think, in my personal opinion, I think on a team that's trying, he can provide it in thirty minutes. But I digress. I think in a fifteen to twenty minutes spurt, he will be the best by, by far, the best backup center in the NBA. I think better than Montrezl Harrell. I think better than Nerlens Noel on a serious team. I think better than Onyeka Nkangu. I think better than another man we'll get to on this list. Better than every last center in Dallas. I think he could be better than all of them. Nor- uh, maybe Larry Nance Jr. actually. Might be the second best. Or might be the best backup center in the league. So, Yakupurta would be number two. At bare minimum. And like I said, those two can argue all day about who they're, who's better. But that, that would be the top two. Roughly there. When it comes to backup centers. Next, with the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, God. This was <laughs> this was a difficult one. Because I was like, what are you? And I, had, I ran into the same problem with Detroit for the most part. Um, Orlando. I ran into this. Well, I didn't really run into this problem with Utah because they have a very clear direction. 
I ran into this problem with rebuilding teams slash tanking teams. What exactly could you want? Like Houston, you know, I think is a good spot for Cam Reddish because they have a relatively, well, I know Eric Gordon's there, but spoiler alert, Eric Gordon's in this episode. Cam they have a relatively big sized hole at the three position. And I think Cam Reddish could feel that, feel that, especially when they take a team, he can get all the shots he wants. Buy him, shoot, go ahead, go crazy. But like I said, for the most part, these rebuilding teams, it was difficult to find out what exactly do they want. Especially with a team like Detroit, who I think has somewhat of an identity so far. Or like um, OKC, who again has an identity. It's like, how do you find guys relatively around the league that fit this same identity? And I kind of came up with answers for the most part with some of these dudes. But... I'm curious at what y'all believe. So, with the uh, Charlotte Hornets, the answer I came up with was the lottery. We got, like I said, we we struggled to come up with answers for these rebuilding slash tanking teams. And I think the best course of action is just ride out the next 50-ish games, 45 games, just right off into, into the sunset. Because there is no hope for them. Let's keep it a buck. There is no short-term short-term hope for them. Lose, get the best odds at the best pick. Even if you fall to five, you at least fall to five and not like Detroit where you can fall to six or seven. Um, so there's that. <sighs> where do I begin with the Charlotte ones? There is nothing, nowhere to begin. And speaking of the Charlotte Hornets, I know I was going to save it for the news uh, edition of the show. Yes, we actually have news around the NBA. I know it's crazy. Um, but uh, Miles Bridges is attempting to come back into the NBA. Uh, I think you can go back and listen to my Miles Bridges um, rant. How I feel about that. Uh, yeah. And anyways. Um, I guess they have still have uh, hopes once Bridges is inevitably signed to a, a contract. Um, I don't, I don't know how to feel. Which is funny because wasn't it like a Woes report? Maybe it was Sean. I don't know. One of those two reported, um, and we even talked about it on the show that the Pistons and the Lakers were like the two teams that were really pushing for Miles Bridges, and all of a sudden that him and the Hornets are ain't gonna do. Interesting to believe that too, but uh, I digress there. Um, yeah, the Charlotte Hornets—they're a—they're for th- this season. They're what I felt Portland. The Portland Trailblazers Blazers were last season. Which, if history repeats itself, Charlotte Hornets will be a playoff team next year. I don't know how much I believe that, but. There is an oppor- a, t- a possibility. I'm not saying an opportunity, but there is a possibility that the Charlotte Hornets somehow, some way, by the grace of God, end up in the playoffs next year, or at least the bare mi- bare minimum, the play-in. Because I think Portland's currently the seventh seed, so the play-in. Oh God, the Charlotte, like I said, the Charlotte Hornets—they've given me headache after headache after headache after headache after headache for the last 18 months of me doing shows. Shout out to my boy uh, JT, Jason Thomas. Charlotte Hornets fan, you know, fan nominative. He, uh, probably the most stressed out man that I've ever met in my lifetime due to him being a Charlotte Hornets fan. 
A close second is my boy Ja, who was a Wizards fan. And maybe me as a Pistons fan. But for the vast majority of the last decade, the Charlotte Hornets have been probably the most mediocre team of all time. Mediocre franchise, we'll put it that way. Because like I said, I know they went under different regimes and, you know, different personnel and all of that. <sighs> Never made it past the seventh seed in this era of the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Bobcats, Hornets, whatever. Since 2002. Have never made it past the, uh, made past the first round. That is disgusting. <sighs> I don't know what fixes this franchise. But something that could fix the next franchise on this list. More draft picks. Specifically first round draft picks. That of course is the Utah Jazz. Um, I think we can all say just right now. Sorry for banging into the microphone. I dropped my notebook. Um. The Utah Jazz have been a pretty, pretty overachieving team so far this year. But we know the direction of this team. They're very much still in a rebuild. They're building somewhat around guys like Colin Sexton, uh, Laurie Markinen. Um, what are the younger guys that they're trying to build? I guess Walker Kessler's in there. O'Shea Abaji, I think, will be in the in the mix in a little bit. Um, they're going like I said, those guys are going to get a lot of tick. Maybe even Malik Beasley is still in that conversation. I doubt it, but potentially could still be in that conversation. Um, but picks are going to be extremely valuable. They already got, what was it? 13 first round picks. I believe it is between the 14, something crazy like that between, uh, the Mitchell trade and the Rudy Gobert trade That's 14 first round picks over the next six years. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I think they could probably get another four um, out of a contender, whether it's this year, next year, or if you're joining with the Lakers, 27 and 29. I'm just saying, those are deals that are likely to be made. That's why I'm more um, optimistic at Utah getting in the Russell Westbrook sweepstakes before Indiana does. Because I think Indiana, I think, is still somewhat in a in a position to compete because they got a lot of, they got Tyrese Halliburton, a lot of middle-aged NBA wise, middle-aged guys. They got with Buddy Hill, who's like 28. Um, Miles Turner, who's like 27, 28 around there. Um, then they got a, a few, young, like I said, Chris Duarte, although is injured, he's still somewhat part of that mix too at like 25 years old. Um, they got a, a lot of depth here. Like granted, they got Benedict Mathurin, who's like 19. And Tyrese Halliburton, who's like 20, 21 years old. But for the most part, they got they got a young point guard and a lot of, of quote-unquote veterans on this team, which is why I think they're probably in competition mode. And the last thing I need to see is Russell Westbrook and Tyrese Halliburton, even if it's just like in a 20-game stretch, even try to uh, coexist as a backcourt because, Jesus Christ, that will not work at all. Personally, I don't think that'll work. But that's just a me thing. Um, another thing that I can uh, attest to with the Utah Jazz is even if they don't try to trade picks, I think, you know, I'm not advocating for bottoming out either. Like, I don't want people to get that, uh, get that, uh, notion about, I don't want them to bottom out, but I think, you know, if you want to take a step back, by all means, take a step back. I'm not saying go with a 50 game losing streak for the rest of the season, but 
you know, the playoffs isn't a a. It's really not their goal, and honestly, I don't think they should try to go for the playoffs. I think, like I said, try to invest in your in the future. Granted, this this draft is pretty deep. I'll say that. Um, and by the way, like I said, Tuesday, Tuesday we are still doing the mock draft. If even if, like I said, we don't probably don't do another episode next week. Um, like I said, definitely we'll be doing mock draft. But I'm seriously like contemplating, like maybe Utah just straight up just makes a couple of trades, and you know, divvy on your way to, you know, bottoming out, quote unquote, for a top pick in the draft. Because I think even if they get like the eighth pick in the draft, I think they still go to the talented piece. That's probably Jalen Wilson right there. Um, I'm gonna be honest, like I said, that's probably the the big piece potentially that they could go get another wing that can score. Um, although that seems like a very Toronto Raptors ass pick, I think it'll probably uh, be a Utah Jazz pick next season. Um, but next, um, a team that is very much still trying to compete for a playoff spot and is in position to do so. The Sacramento Kings, baby. Call them the Sacramento Kings because A, Shaq used to be a minority owner. And B, because they beasting out there. Specifically, one DeMonte Sabonis, who has already set the franchise record for most 2025 games in a season, surpassing the great DeMarcus Cousins with a three. Um, I thought DeMarcus had more than that, especially in like 2015, 2016 type shit. Cause he was backpacking the Kings to a 12 seed. No joke. He was backpacking to that 12 seed. <clears throat> but the guy that I have for them, it's a pretty peculiar pick, especially when you look at the quote unquote, the Sacramento Kings, the organization. The key to them being an even bigger name, Kendrick Williams. All right, on a serious note, though, um, something that, uh, like, I've noticed with the Sacramento Kings, they don't have a terrible amount of wings. Like, they got good guard depth. They got good uh, big man depth, even though I think Rashawn Holmes should get at least a lick of playing time. Jesus Christ. Um, but they're missing a good chunk at the forward position. They got a good 3-4 combination in the starting lineup with HB and Keegan Murray. I do like it, uh Terrence Ross, I said Terrence Ross, Jesus. Terrence Davis off the bench. Um, but I would like to see a little bit more. Same with like Malik Monk and Kevin Herter. Like I, I like those guys in this rotation. But overall, I kind of want to see more in that forward depth because they got like Trey Lyles and um, even like Shimizu Metu kind of runs more center for them. Uh, Casey Opala, which like I said, he's not really getting a lot of playing time here. So I think they could potentially maximize that uh, that forward position a little bit. And the Kings don't really owe a lot of money and in, in like owe a lot of uh, tax money. So like they can they can dig into the tap tax a little bit and go get a Kenny Kenny Williams for a relatively cheap price. In my personal opinion, like it's not going to take a whole lot to go get Kenny Williams, and it's a it's a very very small contract, so like financially they can make it work. Um like I said, why not? It's only like what seven million dollars. So it's like genuinely 
I wouldn't hate that move if I'm the Sacramento Kings, or I wouldn't even like snuff at the fact that oh, the Kings picked up Kenny Williams. Like that's a that's a pretty W pickup. Again, probably on a cheap price that um realistically could help this team defensively, and even just if it's a trade for depth. Realistically, I'm looking at this Kings uh financial. Uh, I say financial report, but like Alex Lynn is currently making four million dollars on this team. Alex Lynn plus Trey Lyles can easily financially could easily go get you a Kenny Williams and gives you equal amount of impact. Granted, I don't think OKC wants Alex Lynn or Trey Lyles if I'm keeping it a buck with you, but these two they feel like uh expendable pieces on this Kings team because they really don't get a whole lot. Of, even though Trey Lyles is basically the sixth man, but let's keep it a buck. He's not that good. I think Kenny Williams could be a, easily a better sixth man than uh, a Trey Lyles. So uh, I think that would be a pretty good pickup for the Sacramento Kings. Next, for the New York Knicks, um, one thing that Mati- uh, well, damn, I just spoiled my damn pick. One thing that Tom Thibodeau likes to preach is defense and kind of you know more of the appreciation appreciation of older, slightly older but younger young but old guys. You know, you know the Tom Thibodeau uh, system by now. One guy that kind of fits that mold. Is currently Philadelphia 76ers wing forward big Matisse Thibault. And I understand the New York Knicks are not a great spacing team by any stretch of the imagination, and Matisse Thibault only hurts that. Well, two things get solved here easy. Despite his otherwise questionable record with young talent. This New York Knicks team, the the younger the youngins on this team, I'm talking RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, you know, um Quentin Grimes, Deuce McBride, Jericho Sims, Obi Toppin, those guys come to play for Tom Thibodeau every night. And I think Matisse Thibault could I think he could be another chapter in that 76ers or sorry, in that New York Knicks um in the, the developmental pool that they have kind of, almost on an underrated scale, put out over the last few years. Now, granted, like I said, the, the main guys, Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle, you know, those are the guys on that team. Those are the guys that, you know, they make the offense run, the offensive run through them, and, you know, you whether you like it or hate it, that's how it goes. I think that um, they can get that same thing out of Matisse Thibault, not to a all-star level like a Julius Randle or even a Jalen Brunson, potentially. Um, but I think he could be a serviceable uh, defender for the New York Knicks, which they don't really have much of that on the bench. They got Deuce McBride, who, you know, admittedly doesn't get a whole lot of playing time. Um, but outside of that, like, you know, IQ, Obi Toppin, like I said, those aren't really defensive guys, even though Obi Toppin, I'd say, is a much improved defender from his earlier days in the NBA, I think still um, pretty raw in that end. And I think, you know, somebody with a Matisse Stiebel next to him, I think could be a glorious fit for the New York Knicks. <clears throat> next for the Los Angeles Lakers. You kind of know where I'm going with this. Um, we will mention him in about, honestly, we'll, we'll mention him in uh, the same package. But Buddy Hill plus Miles Turner. The trade has been there for, we're going on seven months at this point. Because this trade was talked about in during the season. 
um, potentially Russell Westbrook. And going into draft night, draft night, that Russell Westbrook was going to get picked or get traded for likely. It, the, the package I think was originally offered was Heald, Turner, Duarte, and I think a 2020, was it 2025 second for Russ in the two firsts. And the Lakers declined. Well, look at us again six months later. Most of that trade still stands. I don't know if the Pacers or even the Lakers at this point are looking at Chris Duarte to be involved. But the basis of this trade is Heald and Turner for Russ and the Pigs. Y'all know the 2027-2029 first that are so heavily coveted by multiple NBA teams. Unprotected. The Lakers are obviously, and you know, rightfully so, um, reluctant to trade these uh, protected first round or trade these picks unless they are protected, likely lottery protected. Um, yeah. That ain't happening if I'm the Lakers. Because realistically, let's be real. This team ain't going nowhere this season if they don't make a move. If 14 out of the 15 people in the main roster with the Los Angeles Lakers, I guess 13 out of 14 technically, uh, 13 out of 14 are still, because Patrick Beverly is likely a guy that's being moved, whether it be via trade or the buyout market. He's likely being moved. If he is, if most of this Lakers roster is still together, they are not going anywhere in the Western Conference. That's, you know, a synopsis that you don't need a, psychi- a psychologist or, you know, some big theorist to, co- to comprehend. That's just a common sense theory. Common sense. All, all, damn near fact. That they won't go anywhere without any moves being made. But this is the first step in trying to increase any sort of, you know, credibility in your failed, so far, in the Russell Westbrook era, post-bubble era, your failed attempts at trying to compete for a championship. This is your first step in in, in flipping that narrative. Do I, and they, realistically, they only got, what, six weeks to do this trade. As of the recording, we're, like I said, December 24th. 2022. So we're literal, but seven weeks left until the deadline. It's going to be difficult, but hopefully that is a, a move that is made to stack. Next for the Orlando Magic. Um, in looking at the Orlando Magic currently, they have a ridiculous amount of point guards, a extremely ridiculous amount of young wings or young bigs on this team. And an okay collection of wings. Caleb Houston is a guy that I like personally, but has not really shown a whole lot due to like there's only so much playing time in Orlando. Um, but one person I think I was interested in taking them taking a shot on, and this mostly has to do with a his run in the G League, uh, the G League showcase, and b the fact that I think he could be a wonderful um piece whether off the bench or even as a starter for the Orlando Magic. Um, is BJ Boston. And I understand, you know, like I said, the Clippers love to keep depth. The depth, 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 depth is like the main thing on this Clippers team. Um, one person that has kind of fallen by the wayside is Robert Covington, unfortunately. Because I think Robert Covington is one hell of a piece, but he's kind of been limited to like essentially what was his Houston Rockets role, but a lot less, which is basically a backup center. 
Um, and I think he could be more serviceable as a wing on a contender. Lord knows if that's through the buyout market. I don't know if they would if the Magic would have buyout two years, $24 million of Robert Covington. But, you know, and I doubt the Clippers would even try to uh, part ways with them. But a bigger issue for the Los Angeles Clippers is big man depth. And I feel like the odd man out in Orlando currently is Mo Bamba. Um, that was somebody that I had the Bulls target, but the Clippers could easily be uh, another targeted piece there. I also um, have Nerlens Noel as a piece for the Los Angeles Clippers, but if anything, Detroit throws their way, doesn't uh, suit their interests um, or even Detroit's interests at this point. Um, Mo Bamba seems like a good fallback option. I think BJ Boston plus Robert Covington could probably equal a Mo Bamba deal, in my personal opinion, because I think Mo Bamba, or even Wendell Carter, if Wendell Carter is, uh, um, if he's on the market, I think those two fit a lot better or make it given a lot more of an important role to the Orlando Ma- or sorry, to the LA Clippers than recurrent or current Robert Covington is bringing up, especially if it's just in spurts. Next for the Dallas Mavericks. <sighs> it was hard coming up with a re- realistic trade for them. It was difficult. I won't lie to you. It was very difficult. But one person that I think Okay, this is the all right. When all right, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Bradley Beal is the name that I have on this list, but on a realistic scale, and keep in mind, Luke Doncic is having a one hell of a season currently, and um, it'll probably be, you know, that'll probably be the case for the rest of the uh, rest of the season and for the rest of his career for that matter. I'm having a hard time believing that they only have space for one creator in the Dallas Mavericks. Now, I understand that's what Jason Kidd runs, and you can determine what you view as their a level of success for them. But I think two creators brings them to that upper echelon. And the Bradley Bill, yes, could potentially be that second creator. They don't need, even though they don't need to break the bank for a good shot creator, because I think you shoot, you have one paying, you're paying the bare minimum too, and just and Jaden Hardy, I think that has the potential to be that. Um, but Bradley Beal, I think, as a proven commodity in the NBA, as a second, number two, was this close to a conference finals appearance. I think it definitely has the potential to, uh, raise some, some eyebrows, if you will. Especially if he's playing next to a Luka Doncic. Now, again, defensively, you know, statistically might be good, you know, on the, in the in the the viewing of the eyes might be a a little bit of a suspect backcourt to put out there, but I think the offense will more than make up for it. Next for the Brooklyn Nets, um, we mentioned uh Joe Harris earlier, um, and one of the reasons I think the Joe Harris deal could be potentially made is the Atlanta Hawks dealing Clint Capella. Now. The Brooklyn Nets we just watched, um, Nico Claxton have one of hell of a game as, a, as the center, but he is the only center on this Brooklyn Nets roster. No, I'm not counting De'Aaron Sharp as the center on this roster. No, never. You won't make me. Um, Joe Harris, I feel like, mathematically, these the odd man out wing-wise on the Brooklyn Nets. And I say this specifically because the Nets have shooters. They have scoring on this roster. But 
they have nothing in the rim protection in the department. We're even really in the defensive. I know statistically they've been one of the best defensive teams since Jock Vaughn took over. And God bless Jock Vaughn for making this team somehow a good defensive team. Um, but I think Clint Capello on that back line helps a lot more um, in a wider role than Nico Claxton does. Which, like I said, Nico Claxton in spurts, I think has, is one hell of a, a, a talent. Like I said, in that Bucks game, he was all over the floor. By all means, but unfortunately, we don't get that consistent enough Nico Claxton performance to say, oh, maybe, maybe you know, we can get this uh, long term from here. Him and again, he's still young, so I'm not gonna bash him too hard on this. But I think again, proven commodities for a team like the Brooklyn Nets trying to win a championship. I think Clint Capella, even though you know is ringless, I think he helps that that case more than just about anybody that currently and at that center position that's currently on the market. Next for the Denver Nuggets. <sighs> this was interesting that I um only because I don't know what this player's current team's uh, position looks like. Um, but the guy that I have on this list is Andre Drummond. I think, and realistically, I'm uh, Denver's the backup center position. I think is the absolute least important position for the Denver Nuggets. If I'm being honest with you, they're one of the best teams in the NBA running DeAndre Jordan as a backup center. I think Andre Drummond is an upgrade only because in the in the because let's be honest, Bones Highland and DeAndre Jordan, I think is a disgustingly bad um backup uh two two man backup uh combination because those the minutes that took them those guys minutes together outside of like the garbage time minutes um are pretty bad like for viewing guys I don't know statistically the numbers on that. But view from the a viewing standpoint, it is pretty bad to watch. To be fair, um, I would be I would appreciate Denver get going out and get Andre Drummond just because, like I said, a he's on a good team. I think he in again in spot minutes on a good team. Andre Drummond is in the perfect role there. I don't see him being a heavily um, used guy and a on a bad team anytime soon. You already saw it for a decade, but. Um, I appreciate that uh, we can get that potentially um, as a in Denver if Chicago decides they want to blow it up. Um, Indiana, we just talked about with Russell Westbrook. Um, but I also mentioned Joe Harris here if they're trying to make a playoff push. If if I said Russell Westbrook, if they're bottoming out, Joe Harris is there for a playoff push. You know why we uh, said Russell Westbrook. You can kind of figure out why we said Joe Harris. Just another guy for Tyrese Halliburton to rack his assist up with. Um, by the way, we also, like, Miles Turner could also be a guy that the Brooklyn Nets try to uh, target, which is why I got Joe Harris here. Unfortunately, I said that uh, um, that they got to trade Miles Turner, but I think they can still make the playoff push even if they do try to run small with, like, Zay Jackson at the five. Um, next, for the New Orleans Pelicans. Um... This was difficult for two reasons. Um, reason number one, New Orleans is quietly one of the most stacked teams in the NBA. They can run a legit 11-man rotation, close to even 12-man rotation, and still be a pretty effective team. You know, they have their five. They started five with CJ, um, Ingram, Herb, Zion, and Jonas. The bench, likely. Um, most nights, Jose, 
Devontae Graham, uh, Trey Murphy, um, Larry Nance Jr., uh, and uh, Jackson Hayes as your usual four or five combination. Um, Najee Marshall has been a guy that's really stepped up in the uh in the the rotation for them. Like I said, Jose Alvarado has been a guy that's been a a revelation for them this year. They still got Kerry Lewis Jr. That's on the on the in the uh on the back burner for them. They got plenty of people I think can be a really good uh good really good contributor. Unfortunately, EJ Liddell who tore his ACL this year, we probably won't see him. But like I said, I think he could be a um a gem for them back there. But the person I have I have here, and unfortunately, like I said, this is coming off the back of a bad Wizards team. But Monte Morris, I think, as a backup point guard, is one hell of a, a get. And they have an easy eight million dollar clause in there with Gary uh Garrett Trent Garrett Trent Garrett Temple that they could they can uh use at any given point, um. That's a that's a free eight million that that you can go get, um a good piece or if you want to go like towards the shooting market, I think um Gary Trent plus Kerry Lewis Jr. is probably more than enough that you can go get Malik Beasley out of Utah, if Utah wants to bottom out. There's plenty of options. And again, it's crazy that we're only we're making trade episodes in December, but that's just how the cookie crumbles here in the NBA. Like you got plenty of teams trying to compete for a championship, plenty of teams that are looking for future assets. And I think we're more likely uh great um additions to teams that are trying to compete. Next for the Detroit Pistons. I think realistically, this is probably the time to trade Boyan Bogdanovich, and the Lakers are probably the biggest suitor for him, him or Dallas. Dallas do not fall for it. For the Lakers, um, sorry for the Pistons. I have Kendrick Nunn slash Patrick Beverly here. This is likely the trade for Boyan Bogdanovich if the first round pick is unprotected. If not, Lakers can go, you know, you know, go go see what's uh cooking up in uh Indiana. Jesus, um, because uh yeah that like I said Boyan Bogdanovich I think is something that. They need because they they don't need another creator. They need another shooter. Byron Bogdanovich currently this year has been used as a creator, and although yes he is putting up the numbers, in the clutch time like I said that last five minutes of the game, he's been horrendous as a quote unquote creator. I think has been it's been a disaster in Detroit to be fair, and that's kind of one of the reasons they can't close games. Um. I think in Los Angeles, if he's just per- purely used as a, 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 a shooter that could score, um, that can create his own shot in, in minimal spurts, I think is an absolute um, beautiful move if I'm the Lakers. Next, um, the Toronto Raptors. This is also uh, difficult because, I mean, even though, like I said, 6-8 wings are like the, the big talk in Toronto. Um, center depth, I think, is something that is really lacking on this team. It's one of the main reasons that they have seen inconsistency and inconsistency success this year. And I think uh, it dipping into the fountain of youth, especially in uh, the team currently, Charlotte Hornets. I think um, there's an odd man out at the center position. And that man is Kai Jones. Underratedly. A pretty, almost a unicorn level of center, but it has not been able to uh, use, go to his fullest potential. Mostly because, like I said, he's playing on Charlotte Hornets, who for some reason are still starting Miles Plumley. I said Miles Plumley, Jesus. 
Mason Plumley, um, in a full well, I guess you could say tank job. Um, I, there's a few guys in Charlotte I would like to see get more playing time. One of those is Kai Jones, but if not, the Toronto Raptors almost seem like a hand in glove fit. He's versatile. He can switch. He can, like I say, he can guard one through five. I think he can like guard one through five effectively even. Like I think offensively he has a game that could potentially uh take the load off of Fred Van Vliet, because Lord knows he needs it. Pascal Siakam, same thing. Um oh, uh, Scotty Barnes kind of frees his game up a little bit. I think that um that could definitely be a, a fit for them long term. Next for the Houston Rockets. Ooh. Again, I was again I had this conversation earlier. It is very difficult to um, come up for certain things for young team or for teams that are on the rebuild or just straight up tanking. Um, but for the Houston Rockets, I think I had them earlier on this list too. I can't remember what team it was. I believe it was, was it Boston, maybe. Um, but it was Cam Reddish, and I said this specifically because. Um, I think Cam Reddish has never really been on a team where he can show his full and get to go to his full potential. And I hate that he's probably going to be getting getting labeled as a bust soon. Um, unfortunately, because I think, like I said, coming out of college, he was always the used seen as the odd man out of the three. Um, and I really, 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 really hope, God, I really hope that um that he finds a team that he can become a guy on. Maybe not the guy, because I don't think he, he'd be the guy in Houston. It'll likely be Jalen Green. Um, but for sure, oh, sorry to hit my mouth on my mic. Um, but I think he could be a guy on Houston Rockets, especially at that three position, which Lord knows they need help at the three position. Unfortunately, it's, it's still Eric Gordon. Um, I don't know why it's still Eric Gordon, but for some reason, it's still Eric Gordon. Please get this man, Eric Gordon, out of Houston. Stat. We'll mention him in about five minutes. Honestly, less than that. Um, next for the San Antonio Spurs. A name that a weird name that not a whole lot of people have, have talked about because he hasn't played a whole lot this year. Likely because he's on a team that's direction. I wouldn't say directionless, but crossing directions. Um, is Jared Butler from the Utah Jazz. And I say this specifically because Jared Butler is very much a Greg Popovich guy. I don't know how much Greg Popovich is gonna be coaching for. But he seems like a very great Popovich guy. You know, minimal turnover guy, hella active on the defensive end. I think could be something that the Spurs could look at and say, that's our next project that we're going to try to fix. Unfortunately, it probably won't happen in Utah because there's still Mike Conley starting. Um, Jordan Clarkson is still there. Colin Sexton is likely the next guy up for them. Um, maybe a draft pick is on the way. Um, there's going to be plenty of of direction with the Utah Jazz that I think is likely um, going to stay the same because they're still very much competing for a playoff spot. I wouldn't be surprised if the Utah Jazz end up, uh, if they, again, if, you know, whether by trade or by wave, I think Jared Butler is likely going to end up out of Utah um, just due to lack of spacing, or not lack of space, lack of playing time, lack of play, playing space, I should say that. Like, just, not, like I said, not enough minutes to go around and I think he'd just be the odd man out there but like I said San Antonio can make a phone call because they're pretty minimal at the point guard position especially now that Josh Primo is out so they don't really have a development tool for him at the point guard position um 
him it's going to be him and Trey Jones basically, and hopefully, I think that'd be a a, a pretty dope combination, especially if the Spurs try to tank and just straight up just play Jared Butler. I think that'd be a good little move for them. Um, next for the Phoenix Suns, we mentioned it. It's Eric Gordon. Um, God, the Phoenix Suns bench when health when healthy and their full starting five is known and well. The bench is pretty lackluster. Last um. Like we're like you know they got pieces but they don't have a definitive sixth man. I don't know. I feel like Cameron Payne is kind of like the sixth man by committee, but he's also just like the point guard on the team. So it's like he's not really a a creator. Um, so they're very much missing that on the bench. I would not say be uh, I would not be surprised if uh Eric Gordon is likely is likely a Jay Crowder plus Dario Sarge move and Jay Crowder just gets bought out of Houston. Um, if that's the, the, the route they want to take, maybe it's, I'm not even going to dream up DeAndre Ayton trades, but, um, maybe that is something we, we can talk about that maybe potentially uh, DeAndre Ayton doesn't get moved. Not that, um, ownership is out, but on a serious note, like I said, Eric Gordon, I think it'd be a definitive six man. He's not on a team that's tanking. So thank God. And, you know, like I said, maybe he's, uh. Maybe he gets a little bit more of a, a respected role in Phoenix. OKC Thunder. Hmm. There was one person, like I said, that, that stuck out more than anything. And it was due to the fact that he is... He's what this OKC Thunder I think, team is looking for. But I don't think his team is willing to trade him yet. The man is Jonathan Kuminga. And... I know Warriors fans are going to be on my ass because Warriors fans decide they want to be on my ass all the time. Um, this, um, unfortunately, is off the back of the Warriors are in a conundrum. They got two extremely talent, talent, extremely talented, extremely high potential young players, all both under 22 years old. And... They are stuck in a between a rock and a hard place, basically. Do they trade both of these dudes to try to win now, but you don't get to see what they look like in five years, or you keep keep them around, you see what they try to look like in five years, and maybe they turn out to be elite level NBA players, maybe they just turn out to be elite level role players, maybe they just straight up busts that are inconsistent. But either way. You will never see how truly talented they are if you don't let them spread their wings. And that's why I think trading these dudes will likely be the cause. Now, spoiler alert for the Golden State Warriors. Um, the man that I have listed here is specifically because of one article that I read that honestly, for some reason, I fell in love with the trade. But when you think about it, that trade is the dumbest thing ever. So we're like we'll get to there, get there eventually. Um, OKC, okay, but yeah, OKC okay, Thunder, John Lukaminga, Minnesota Timberwolves. <sighs> okay, so when I was dreaming up D'Angelo Russell trades, because I think that move likely gets made in the future, especially now that Point Edwards is the thing. Apparently, God, that sucks. But Point Point Ant. Is here, you know. All of a sudden, he's unlocked something, and it's now a really good playmaker. All of a sudden, 
Um, I think now that D'Angelo Russell becomes even more expendable due to that fact. I think one team that could probably use his assistance in the backcourt is the New York Knicks. While I love Quentin Grimes, I think, you know, long-term, you know, there's, there's, like I said, there's, there's questions to be had there. But I think, I think overall, I think he'll be fine. But if the New York Knicks want to draw some trades, there's a very easy statistical mark right there with, with Evan Fournier. And like I said, I'm not going to be the one that's drawing up, you know, unrealistic trades all of a sudden, because why would ever would I do that? Wink, wink. Um, Evan Fournier, I think, is genuinely the guy that uh, that could be made long-term for the Timberwolves, just as a shooter. Because, like I said, if you got point in, you need him to pass the ball to some people. Like I said, Rudy's not going to be throwing lobs Rudy Gobert all day. Like, eventually, that's going to get snuffed out. You're going to need people on the perimeter. And I think it's Jaden McDaniels. He's on the come-up. Obviously, Carl Towns, when he comes back, I think it's going to be one hell of a um, a combination with point in, point in and Carl Anthony Towns. Evan Fournier, I think, is a guy off the bench, or maybe even as a starter at low-key. Um, just as a shooter, I think, could be um, more than uh, helpful for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Portland Trailblazers. Legit couldn't come up with an answer. I just wrote down the first thing that came to my mind. that, uh, And oddly enough, it was because I went back to watch Serge Ibaka cooking videos. Serge Ibaka, I think, is a good, good pickup for the Portland Trailblazers as a backup center. Um, Drew, Drew Banks, I think, has been a fine backup center, but I think, you know, upgrades can always be made, or even side up, uh, side grades. Like I said, Serge Ibaka, I know, is way past his prime, but it, it, like I said, there's still something there with him. He's he's on their roster for a reason, so why absolutely not try to make a, a move for him eventually? <sighs> now with the Golden State Warriors, we are here. The name on this list is Wendell Carter Jr. And I said this is like, oh snap! The Warriors can pick up Wendell Carter Jr. That's one hell of a move that they can make. <laughs> and then I saw them to trade of Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman to the Orlando Magic for Wendell Carter. Orlando, I'm speaking to you right now. Honestly, I'm speaking to both teams. Do not do this. Let's not do this. Don't ever do this again. I love all three men in this trade as NBA players. Wendell Carter, I think, fixes a lot of holes that the Golden State Warriors bench currently has. I think Orlando gets two talents that fit their age bracket. None of this should exist, though. Like, this, this doesn't need to happen. Wiseman is going to get lost in the shuffle in Orlando because A, they'll probably still have Mo Bamba. B, they'll probably still have John Isaac. C, they have a first-round pick this year that'll likely be in the top 10. Cough, cough, Victor Wambayama, Derek Lively, et cetera, et cetera. They are going to be in the dirt when it comes to trying to find a suitable backup center. That's just where we are with the Clippers. Or, God, with the Clippers, with the Magic. They have way too much talent, and adding Jonathan Kuminga and James Wiseman essentially goes with the exact same problem the Golden State Warriors have with these exact same two players, is that there's just not enough spots on in the rotation for them. 
A team like Houston would be work work wonders for James Wiseman. A team like Thunder could work wonders for Jonathan Kaminga because there's less there. The, the OKC Thunder have a lot of talent and a lot of first-round picks for the next 10 years. I'll be honest with you. But currently, the, the OKC Thunder lineup is likely, like most nights, Giddy, Shea, Dort, Anyways, the the front court for the OKC Thunder is is pretty shoddy to be fair, but I think Jonathan Kaminga, even though yes, It's not the Rosen, is it? Um, he's not a starter. I think he's he works with wonders as a backup point guard in limited role. But if you try to turn him into something he's not, which is a starting point guard, it's not going to work out for your team. It barely worked out for a team with the literal MVP on it. I don't think it will work out for the Washington Wizards, which is why I said New Orleans as a backup point guard, I think is a, a wonderful uh, situation. But for the Washington Wizards, I think you just need to hit the reset. Um or knows where that comes from. Dallas, maybe. But even Dallas doesn't have a point guard ready on the on the market for a Bradley Beal trade. That would probably been good for Jalen Brunson, in my personal opinion. But that's neither here nor there. And then my D'Angelo Russell thing might work out a lot more, a lot better than uh people might realize. But that's the, I guess, again, that's not here, though, there. Um... Unfortunately, I think we can call the podcast right there. I know, God, we're here, what, an hour and a half at this point? Hour or something like that. 
Um, if you made it to the end of this episode, bravo to you. If you listen to all these long ass episodes that I give y'all, absolute positive love all the way for y'all because y'all are the true MVPs of this show. But if you missed the previous 178 episodes of the Zaycom podcast, you can check out my own Spotify, own Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, or Amazon Music, and of course, right here on Anchor. Until next time, I love you. You love me. Let's love each other. Goodbye.